Well, hello everyone, and welcome to episode 147 of The Cool Room. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, David Griffiths. I'll shortly be joined by my very good friend, Mr. Warren Wu, uh, for a really enjoyable chat with 71 Brewing from Dundee in Scotland. Uh, hopefully in the episode and an interview that you'll really enjoy. Uh, fascinating stuff, particularly given that they have some links to Melbourne and we can be able to uh, explore some of the similarities, some of the differences between the Melbourne and Scotland brewing scenes. Uh, you'll enjoy this episode all the more if you have the right beers in front of you and you can get them from our online store just Google Cool Room Shopify and you'll track that down. Uh, there's nine beers in the pack. I think we've only got two or three packs left. So if you're interested, get in there and grab them fast. Uh, some really fun beers in there, as you'll hear as we chat about them. Uh, if you like the beers with a bit of oomph to them, uh, these beers certainly have that. And uh, if you haven't already followed us on Facebook or Instagram, Doing so is a great way to keep up to date with all of the fun things that we have happening. We've got three great online events happening in September. Some of the beers have already sold out, but we have Yulee's Brewing joining us from Queensland. We have Deep Creek from New Zealand. Uh, we have oh, Goodlands joining us from Gippsland. So, Goodland, I should say. I'm going to get myself into trouble saying Goodlands all the time. Goodland Brewing joining us uh, from down Traralgon Way. Uh, make sure you grab those packs. Make sure also that you come along and join us for our next live show uh, where we're going to be sitting down with the team from Bonehead Brewing uh, in September down at their brewery in Kensington for our 150th episode. We've got a few other little treats and secrets coming up on that front as well. Uh, make sure you're with us that day for what will be as awesome an afternoon as... Mr Warren Wu, are you ready to have your heart warmed by some wonderful Scottish beers tonight? I absolutely am David Griffiths. Yeah, ah, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. Another international guest. I love this. This is, this is awesome. And we're very, very lucky to be joined by 71 Brewing. Um, and we've got Duncan, Kieran and Gareth. Uh, on the on with us, uh, Duncan head honcho, uh, Kieran uh, all things sales as far as I understand it, and Gareth um, uh, assistant brewer or brewer. Yeah, yeah, Gareth from the from the brew team. Yeah, is, is he the one who has to do, has to clean things afterwards? So is that is that sort of how it works? That one of you has the ideas, the other one has to do all the cleaning. <laughs> he says he doesn't clean. <laughs> Brilliant, <laughs> excellent. Um, so, okay. So I, I think I might, I, so what we normally do here and, uh, and it's a little tradition now is we get our guests to introduce each other. And I think it might be nice. And I really like it when the sales dude introduces founder head brewer because the, yeah, you know, it's a little bit of hyperbole comes in. Um, and one of the other things is uh, we'd like you to let us know what Duncan's favourite beer is. Um, so As in a non-71 brewery. Non-71 beer, yeah, a non-71 beer. I'm sure 71 is all your favourites, but, yeah, non-71. So, um, Kieran, do you want to kick off with uh, with an introduction of um, Duncan's? 
Kieran hates these things, and this is putting him straight on the spot. Yeah, it's it's so kind of call someone else for us. <laughs> nah, you've got to rip the scab, rip, rip the band aid off, the, rip the plaster off the scab. There's no way about it. <laughs> okay, so um, well, this is Duncan Alexander. He's our managing director and head honcho here at Seventy One Brewing. Um, be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, in terms of, so think about when you joined. Yeah, so obviously I joined the company back in 2018. That's right. So he's put up me for this long. So <laughs> read into that what you will. <laughs> and what beers do you think he likes to drink when he's not drinking the beers that you're making making there? You know, and this is where you can bad mouth him a little bit. You can make the story up a little bit if you like. Mm. No, I'm perfectly truthful. Because, <laughs> like for, for example, David, David isn't. Don't you dare say it. He mainly, you know, he'll drink like the Australian equivalent of Buckfest. <laughs> <laughs> I have been known to like a Buckfest. <laughs> um, no, I, for some reason, when that, I think Duncan is always. What's that German beer? Oh, Schulhofer. Feel from it, yeah. Oh. The grapefruit, um, <laughs> rattler kind of thing, um, purely for the reason that you can kind of get away with drinking it while you work. So, yeah, it's like a uh, shandy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nah. that, that sounds like ready. a very sensible sort of <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of surprised if I would, would produce something like that, but now that I've heard it, I want to really want to try it. Yeah, oh, it's great, it's very nice. It's just summer. Yeah. You can sit and drink it all day long. So. Oh, I love it. Let's pass the introducing stick along. Who's who's gonna go next? Um I'll go next. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh hit up Gareth. Um so Gareth just joined us at the end of last year. That was right. Start of this year, but, uh, start of this year, and uh, actually was spent he was ten years in Melbourne before, so he's he's a local. As you guys are concerned, um, and then came over um, to, to be closer to family and, uh, and and joined us here. So that was it was great. It was it was really good timing. We were looking for someone else to join the brewery. Um, at first, I was sure he was Australian because his second name was Cooper, and I had heard of, you know <laughs> Cooper, Cooper Sparkling Ale. <laughs> He's got to be Australian. But no, it turns out he was he was Scottish. But it just... I wish I was getting that Cooper's Paleo money. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and Gareth slotted in really well into the the, the brew team here, um, and and has a, a good hand into some of the creative stuff as well. So. Well, I, I've got to say, you know, Australia is a small place. Melbourne's a small town, and Gareth, I thought I'd recognised your face from around there. So I'm sure, <laughs> you, admit, you know, in the one pub in Melbourne that we we all probably, go and Probably bumped into each other in Carwin Cellars, both drunk and good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Out of all the places you could nominate, that's entirely likely. <laughs> yeah, that is it. could be the case. Carwin yeah. Hey, um, Duncan, what does Gareth like to drink? What does Gareth like to drink? I think he's a secret tenants drinker. You know what, this think, is the tent. We like to set up this tension early in the in the interviews. I, that I, way. I don't know what I would, what your favourite type of beers are. I you know, I would probably peg as the sours man. Uh, I, I I do like sours, but no, probably more 
I don't know, like, I'm actually like really liking black IPAs at the moment just because you don't find them much anymore. Oh, yeah, I remember you talking kind of something into the now. I thought you were going to go to the right. shop a half a Rattler or something there for a moment. But that's... I'm not going to into the Rattlers, eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it must no be your not... turn to introduce, you know, let's introduce around the circle. Right, so Kieran, um, <laughs> bit of a local lad. Uh, <laughs> he, yeah, Kieran's runs kind of all the, the sales and marketing stuff here. It's a pretty small team, so he's yeah one man shop for for all that kind of stuff that we're doing. Um, I think. Do you still live up the road at Kerry Muir? Yeah, I do. Yeah, still lives up the road at Kerry Muir, which is actually where Angus Young is from. From So Scotland like to claim ACDC just as much as Australia do. So it's quite funny. Oh, from Scotland. Oh, sorry, Scotland. I was going to say it was interesting that Angus Young, but not Malcolm Young, but that's all right. So from Scott, yeah. So there's actually like a statue of him up there. So Kira's from up that way, which is not far from Dundee. Kieran. I don't know. I know Kieran likes rock and roll, so I'm gonna say that he likes drinking like sweaty Jack Daniels at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Not actually sure. Do ACDC have their own beer? A lot of a lot of those big bands do now. It wouldn't surprise me if they do. And if not, there could be a marketing opportunity, you know, there yeah, with the estate yeah. of Mr. Bond's. There, 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 there is a festival. There's a uh, Bond it's called Bond Fest. They have it every year in Kerry Muir. In, in honor of Bon Scott, it's basically twenty different ACDC cover bands. But it's 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 a big it's a big thing and it's pretty wild. Or bikers. That is genuinely so close to my heart that I'm surprised yeah. I've never heard of it. Yeah. That's it's, a great thing. Uh, that is literally just <laughs> amazing. Because there, um, there are various housing commissions in Melbourne, and supposedly one of the ones that's very close to where Warren and I live where the band used to play on top of like a 20, 30 story sort of, you know, public housing building. Really? Um, one of the Flemington Towers? One of the... Yeah, absolutely. There's a few, there's a few towers that claim that, but Flemington claims it very strongly. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like we're, we're, we're talking about a lot of things and we're not talking about the beer that's in our glasses, Mr. Warren. We, we do this a bit. We yeah. often don't talk enough about the first beer in our glasses, and um, yeah, yeah, we should we should actually get to that. Because <laughs> um, it's tasting beautiful. Yeah, I I think it's yeah, it's really delicious. Um, I'm I'm really enjoying it. Um, so Neutron Dance, uh, Duncan, tell us about Neutron Dance. Give us a give us the history and 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 how you came across it and how you brew it, what it tastes like, all the all the juicy good stuff. Yeah, I mean. I will admit that we are concerned about sending um, double IPAs and big hoppy beers mm. across Australia because it's a long passage. Mm. In a, in a, so I do hope that it's arrived there uh, in, in reasonable condition. But um, yeah, this uh, interestingly, this beer, um, it actually it started, started out life as something else, which quite often happens. Um, mm-hmm. And then we we divided the beer, so we created a base beer. We were actually creating it um, for a um, for a company called Beer Fifty Two that um, we do a lot of subscription beers, and and we we work with them quite often and collaborate and and wanted to create a beer together. So we were actually doing a, a something that they used all up to to six hops in this beer, mm-hmm. uh, and we loved we loved. 
the base of the beer actually. Um, so, so we then took that and did another small batch of it and created two different dippers out of it. Um, one of them was Neutron Dance and the other one was called Two Way Radio, both with a different hop focus. So um, the base the base beer in the Whirlpool had Citra, Columbus, Mosaic and Simcoe in it. Mm-hmm. And then one um, then got diverted off and that was Lemon Drop and Equinaut. And the second one we did was Neutron Dance. So um, we got a load of Galaxy in. Galaxy is really hard for us to get hold of. Um, you know, unless you've got a contracted, it's it's not common mm-hmm. hop. So we had an opportunity to get some of that. We really wanted to use it in a beer. So um, that then became the predominant dye hop in this. Why is it called Neutron Dance? Absolutely no idea. <laughs> um, it was, I think it might be named after a Pointer Sisters song. Hmm. <laughs> There's been a lot of conjecture amongst us this week about exactly that, and particularly yeah. its so, sort of relationship to the buddy system. Of, naming goes through different phases where all of a sudden I'll get onto a theme and it might be, you know, disco bands from the 70s or it might be you know, film quotes or it might be, and I think at that time it was disco bands from the 70s, so it was the Pointer Sisters. So hence... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, neutron dance, um, but no, I think uh, for us it was it was a bit of a luxury being able to work with with Galaxy Hops, and we just wanted to, we we thought that this base beer, this base dipper that we had already, we thought it was a really good you, um, you've, platform you've, for that. You've answered excellently well there. I'm sure Mr. Wu's looking the same. There's about three or four questions that I want to ask just off the back of what you're saying there. But Warren, I'm going to pass to you. You can have you can have first go, but there's three or four follow ups out of that that I really want to ask about. Um, oh, I, I no, you go because I'm still trying. I'm like so Neutron Dance, the same one in in like Eddie Murphy's uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Is that the one? The, 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 I should the, have known. That's what you'd right. ask about. <laughs> is that the song I'm thinking of? I know the Pointer Sisters, but I yeah. just log it as the Pointer Sisters. Oh, there you go. That is- it's very good. Yeah, that is the song. Okay. <laughs> so so I'm going to ask a more. Questions. I'm going to ask a more. Good night, guys. I'll see you. <laughs> I'll ask a more beer and logistics kind of question, and this was something that I was going to ask later on in the interview, but I'm I'm fascinated by it. First of all, can I assure you the beer is tasting fantastic. Mm, uh, we know that you know it's it's had a long journey, and you might imagine it was going to taste differently, but. Uh, I think everyone in the room will give us a thumbs up that it's tasting beautiful at the moment. Mm-hmm. The The question I have is when you're sorting out what beers will come to Australia, how much of it is with an eye to we don't think this beer will ship well or we think that this one, like, because we've got this amazing array of big stouts and imperials uh, in our pack. Does that represent what the brewery does overall or have you made a bit of a choice about what you ship and what you don't ship and so we're not seeing everything in Australia? I think when we're looking at something like this where it's like such, there's such a long distance in time between when the beer leaves us and when it lands in Australia, it's usually based on freshness. So ideally the sooner it's out the tank and into can or into keg, the better that's normally what we'll try to base it on. Mm-hmm. Um just trying to give the beer as best a chance as possible by the um, time it lands, but wherever then, it's going. But this year we definitely erred towards higher ABV stouts, sours, um, <clears throat> and I think the, any the, the, if it was a hoppy beer, it had to be higher ABV. 
yeah. I wanted to, to send, just we thought I had a better chance of getting there in, in good condition. Are you so you guys? Um, while we're chatting, I'm, I'm assuming you're, you guys are drinking uh, an example as well. Uh, like you're drinking the new time. Yeah, right. Um, so is our batch the same batch that you guys are drinking? Would it be the same batch that you guys are drinking? That was a yeah, it was a one off um beer. So some of the beers, oh, sorry, are the same yeah, of course, yeah. one off small batches. Um, mm-hmm. and when I say a small batch, you know, we'll probably make about um 25 hectoliters of that so um and yeah so that that will be from the same batch so we've we've held some of that back so that we could ours is also a bit warm so yeah yeah. yours has been in the fridge we just grabbed out of the the store (laughs) well we we should probably set the tone a bit i've said it's the last weekend of the australian winter what you know what is the temperature remind our listeners we're going through two very experiences on different sides of the globe here What's the weather like there? What time in the morning is it for you guys? Yeah, we're probably crossing over. It's about... I think it's at that crossover point. It's about 17, 18 here and starting to drop. And you're probably sitting at about... So quite hot then for you guys. It's quite warm, yeah. 18 in Scotland is actually the threshold for what they call taps ass, which is where (laughs) everybody takes their T-shirt off. You're you're quite lucky that we're all T-shirted. It must be just under 18. I did note (laughs) that it's clearly a warm morning because you're all in your T-shirts over there. (laughs) I actually saw a guy walking... From the shops this morning that didn't have a top on. Yeah, I'm not joking. It was only about 16 degrees, and it was a pair of shorts and a pair of boots and a shopping bag. <laughs> How many of your imperial stouts had he had before he? Uh... <laughs> he looks very mental. Um, and it's about 10 a.m., so it's good drinking time. Uh, David, did we remember to tell our listeners to take the beers out of the fridge? I just this this talk about whether. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Mr. Wu, we did not, and I'm glad you reminded us. Why don't you give the formal reminder? Yeah, so for the guests listening to the podcast, um, if you if you're going to to join us in the tasting experience uh, as we go along, um, probably a good good chance to take the um, uh, the the Scot the Scotch pie out of the sky. I still love reading the I've, I've got the label next to me and every time i see it it kind of makes me giggle um yeah take the, <laughs> the scotch pie and the salty and art out of your fridge because they'll come up to temperature and they'll be they'll they should be right to go then so just a or, little you, or you could do what um somebody asked us in our tap room a few years ago a couple of years ago and there was a a, a guy came in and he asked us to put the stout he said have you got a microwave Oh, yeah, and could you put this stout? Could you put it in the microwave for ten seconds, please? And then we came back, and he said, "Give it another ten seconds." And he was like, no, "That's fine." <laughs> that's <just a> microwave. <laughs> so we did it. He <laughs> wanted it just to raise it just to that perfect yeah. temperature. I, yeah. This is going to be one of those interviews where the where the question sheet goes out the door straight away. <laughs> <laughs> Have you tried doing that? Have you have you seen what happens when you do it? Does microwave? I, I admit, knock out? We did try it afterwards, but I think we overegged it, and it was like <laughs> it was like like warm like, temperature. <laughs> Stouts. I mean, we couldn't, we couldn't resist. We're like, did he did he really just ask for that? You could pour it over it some, cold. reduce it a little bit, and pour it over some vanilla ice cream. I imagine that would be yeah, a sort of a, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I actually think the salty and art would work well if you reduced it down and. If you did it really slowly and then you could put over ice cream at work. I've been known to do these kind of things. Don't worry about that. 
Um, Warren Wu, let's get this ship back on yeah, course. Yeah, I, I was going to ask. Well, uh, now's probably a good time. Talking about people in your in your um, in your tap room, tell us about your tap room. What what are people? What are people? Should people expect when they walk in and and uh, walk into Seventy One Brewing's tap room? An empty room. <laughs> An empty room. Yeah, um, we, we we did have a tap room right in the middle of the brewery, but COVID uh, oh. put an end to that. Um, so obviously that closed with COVID, mm-hmm. and then the brewery ended up taking it over. Um, you know, just because we were running out of space, we, we, you know, just with COVID, we we switched to everything being in packaged format, and that changed a lot of the, you know, the the processes and things and the demand for space inside the brewery. Mm-hmm. What we did then create was a we've got a huge yard around the back of the brewery, and we created a beer garden in that, uh, and that's still running. So that's our our only tap room at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a, it's a big space. You can get 150, 200 people in it and bring food vans in. And we've got a, a really nice outside bar. But it's um, weather dependent. Yeah. Um, um, so it's been good. It's been good this year. And we're we're in the process of converting. We've got a, a huge amount of space above us. We've got about 14,000 square feet over two floors above wow. us in this old building. Wow. And that we just gained... We've been in a long process of planning permission with the council to get that converted. Ah, into- planning. So I knew we'd get onto planning permission and stuff yeah. that's my passion sooner or later. So I could talk about that for an hour, but I'm not going to. And uh, so that that's that's going to kick off quite soon, and we will create what is essentially a giant tap room right over our heads. So we'll have the brewery on one floor, and then this this above, and then there's a gallery, an art gallery going in on the, the top floor. Wow. That sounds properly amazing, can I say? Um, yeah, that it, it does. Just, that, that leads to the question that we've skipped over so many, but really sort of a bit of an explanation about where you are in the city of Dundee, hmm. what Dundee is like, explain to, uh, you know, this might be a good question for our former Melbourneian, you know, just sort of give us some reference points that we might sort of get as a Melbourne. What's the city like? Cool. No, so like I used to work for Deeds, who I know you guys have had on a couple of times, and so the planning permission thing it reminded me a lot of of Deeds. As you guys yeah. will know, that was a five year, I think, attempt to get planning permission for the bar. I think it was three years here, and it was a lot of similar problems about it being an ex dry area. The local council dragging their feet about not having that uh, any sort of drinking in this area that they wanted to be dry and all that sort of stuff. So. There's a lot of similarities there, and it's a, a similar red brick style building and kind of industrial area that's like quite close to a lot more uh, residential stuff. Um, and yeah, I guess there's like Dundee was a kind of big shipping area and stuff like that. It's quite a, a like workers' city for a long time. Yeah, and then they had a lot of journalism as well. But um, now it's sort of become this creative city. There's a um, the uni here, I think it was in some way involved with uh, what's that game, Grand Theft Auto, and that was a big deal. Yeah, and there's a lot of kind of creative things happening in Dundee now. So you've got this kind of blend of of industry and creativity that feeds really well into craft beer, and I think you see that in a lot of parts of Melbourne as well, like in the western suburbs and stuff. We think, imagine like Hop Nation and their little alleyway, and um, yeah, I think that. It's it's not too far different 
really. Um, just on a much smaller scale. Just, yeah, <laughs> just, just a time. Only about 150,000. Yeah, we're about 160,000. So yeah. um, it's going to take a while to catch up. What's Melbourne now? Four and a half million. Oh, right, okay. yeah. So it's not, you know, it's almost the same. <laughs> it's, it's so close, but it's. I think it's a really good comparison uh, and really interesting from a number of points of view, not the least of which is that I'm an elected Melbourne City Councillor and so always Ooh. want to talk up our gaming industry and shout out to the creators of Cult of the Lamb, which I've been playing on Nintendo right. Switch this week, which is a, <laughs> a, a Melbourne-developed uh, game. So you're absolutely right about that that sort of link between all levels of creativity and brewing. A lot of people don't sort of get how those creative groups of people, you know, restaurateurs, brewers, creative arts, music, all sort of club together because we all love the same kind of things. Yeah, I think I think uh, it's definitely Dundee's gone, you know, massive contrast from heavy industry to creative, the creative industries. And uh, it's, it's probably been a painful process for the city. Mm. Uh, it's gone through hard times, but, it, you know, it really is on a path to regenerate and, itself um, and so like your your the suburb you're in is called blackness which i b- presume is more yeah. after the river than anything else but hell's half acre or something like that am i right in sort of yeah saying? i mean you, when you say suburb i mean we're still you know 10 minutes walking at the center of town so it's not you know uh it's, it's there's not a vast area that we're talking about here but um yeah blackness it was it was just full of smoke and chimneys and factories that covered acres and acres and acres and um so yeah i think that's where the name hell's half acre came from um there was a lot of iron industry um and uh, mills and other things that were feeding it the shipbuilding as well um and then that all of that's gone um we we were part of this black we call the blackness foundry uh, an iron foundry and we were the the works where they, they used to create the molds and this this building that we're in and pretty much everything has gone apart from our building so we're, we're kind of sort of that last connection to that industrial heritage in the city um a beautiful beautiful old building it looks it looks great it's been a pain in the arse to turn it into a, <laughs> a really, um but we're you know we've gone through a lot of that pain and and we're, we'll continue to kind of develop it as well um, and in terms of location, you know, we're, it's nice. We're, we're not too, we're actually quite central and we're really close. We're right beside the university district and the art school, um, you know, so we've got a lot of that kind of creative vibe going on around about us. And, and you're the first brewery in 50 years to, to open yeah, up in that, Dundee, is that right? That's right. I mean, it, when we were, as far as we could tell, it was the last city in Britain that didn't have a, a brewery as the, the sort of craft beer, um, you know, revolution happened. And we thought, that's a no-brainer. Let's let's <laughs> let's build a brewery. And, and, and the, the, you know, it's a town that I'd come from anyway. Um, uh, that's what I was going to ask, was whether you chose it because you'd identified it, it was, as a place yeah, where there was a gap in the market, or is this just where you had it? Yeah. I knew the city, and also I thought, you know, there's a gap in the market here. Um, but you, you know, one of your questions, which you mentioned, was what the craft beer scene was like in Dundee, and it was non-existent. And that, you know, there's a reason for that that people can be quite conservative, slow to to take on new things. Um, and and so, I think you know, it hadn't been an obvious place to to plant a, a new brewery. 
but as it is, that's changed. You know, the, the scene's changed dramatically over the last few years. Although there's still only two breweries really in the in the city. There's yeah. us, us and Holy Holy Goat around the corner, and that was a, that was an offshoot. That was an offshoot from us. Um, so yeah, it's still it's still not stacked with breweries. It's not like Melbourne, uh, where you could find three or four in the same the same long street. So I do find that. Happening to me, like there's a lot of really like trendy coffee places. It's like there's a lot of uni students, and I'm surprised mm-hmm. that there isn't more craft beer. Yeah, I find that there's something really fascinating as well about people from, uh, you know, sort of industrial working backgrounds and so forth who are really parochial about a lot of things, and they're yeah. often parochial about really bad beer. And then when you actually explain <laughs> uh, that. You know, and I've having run venues and pubs and bars, and you go, no, these are people I know. They work down the road. They're down there at four o'clock in the morning, slogging their guts out, so you can enjoy this beer. People go, oh, radio is it's it's called like Footscray Ale, which is one of our sort of working class. Well, of course I'll drink that, rather than the big mega beers in town. But you've just sort of got to explain to people that, uh, you know, this beer is owned by this South. African conglomerate, and these are people you're going to bump into when you walk down the street, and they go, "Oh, no, hang on, I'll support them." Yeah, I think Dundee was like many places in Scotland; it was a tenants' town, um, and you know, tenants has, has a huge lock on the <laughs> the drinking mm-hmm. um, culture in in Scotland, um, and I think it's, but also it's not seen as a as a big macro brewer in the way that others are because. A lot of people in Scotland see it as something of their own, and other yep. big breweries that are much more massive are are kind of like interlopers. So, so they, even though they're a gigantic corporation, they still manage to to kind of present themselves as a local option, and I think they've done that very successfully over the years. Um, and also just the way that taps and uh, are available in in bars. I think when, when we first moved into the city, there was. There was very few options to put your beer on tap, and that's changed a lot um, over the years. As new as new bars open, people have a different attitude. They're not so quick to jump into a, a tie with with one of the big brewers, and they'll they'll come to us. I think Kieran, you see a lot of that. You know where people will approach us and say, "Look, we're wanting to put on a sweet your tap, so we'll take over the you know the the kind of management of their draft options, and and we'll have four or five options and. And then they can kind of go free, freestyle for the rest of them. Um, but that's that's just in recent years. You know, the the first few years when we started and we were just brewing lager, you know, because craft lager was our focus when we started. That was a hard slog because we were going straight up against tenants and into <laughs> a lot of these sites. Um, and yeah, so I think that it made it made it for a difficult push. But yeah, the, times are changing. I think what was the decision? Oh, sorry. You go, Kieran. Sorry. Um, I think with uh, COVID and stuff as well, during that sort of time, there was obviously sort of like a big push for people to support local businesses. Mm-hmm. I think now that the pub trade is starting to pick up again, you're starting to see that reflected. Yeah. In that side of things as well, you're starting to get a lot more people sort of like looking for more local options rather than just going with it. Yeah, they def- definitely saw that effect. <clears throat> I think we were because- drinking. Yes. We were drinking your lager. I might just quickly cut across. We were drinking your lager just before you came on. Um, it was delicious. We well, Dave and I mm. thought it was just it was cracking. 
Um, and going back to what you said before, what was the decision to to do craft lager as a focus to begin with? Why? What was what was the? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you a little bit about that, and then I want to pull Gareth into that as well because he'll have some thoughts on it. But you know, the way when we were starting the brewery, we could see craft lager really picking up in the states. Oh. And we thought, right, okay, that's you know, do do, do we want to have a particular focus to this? And I think. For me, that that was the thing that excited me was was being able to create a really good craft lager. But this is around 2015, 2016. It wasn't, you know, if perhaps if you were down south in London or across the states, that's fine. There was a, there was a market for that, but a lot of people in Scotland still equated lager with big beer, mm. IPA with craft beer, and that was that. Um, so it was a, it was quite early days to to be trying that mm. tack and. You know, we eventually branched out at a whole suite of different styles on the back of that, but we've always continued to produce that um, the Czech style Pilsner, which was yep. which was the year that we did. Uh, and but I think you've. you've I, I'm just gonna to... I'm just gonna answer an unasked question, which is, <laughs> which is my just own observations of the differences like what we see between the Melbourne scene and, and here, and, and mm, I think yeah, Margaret, yeah. one of the things Perfect. that you asked about, which is like. Um, I think like lager and more so in Australia actually was a massive dirty word for a long time. I think mm. more so than I think because you've got access to all these beautiful bohemian uh, pilsners and stuff like that here, there was still a kind of an appreciation for a good lager that I don't think existed in the same way in Australia among people that were interested in beer. And I've noticed like a lot of craft breweries here are marketing their lagers with these sort of rustic bohemian imagery and, yeah. and trying to make it out as though they're from the Czech Republic or something, um, because <laughs> they know people respond to that as meaning it's a good lager. Um, so I think that lager was probably always bubbling away more here than it did in the craft scene in, in Australia. Yeah. Um, but also yeah. just it's interesting how like because Australia has Cooper's Paleo and then like uh, little creatures and Kosciuszko, mm. that people like like wanting those paleos, and that was quite an easy entry in Australia, whereas you don't really see paleo here. I don't think I ever really came in in the same way oh that's really interesting yeah uh was probably like helped that along whereas like we had like jukers ipa and stuff like that in scotland so like people were more comfortable with the idea of an ipa here because they were used to seeing that term and i think it's just kind of fascinating um, um do you think do you think that ales thing might be because of the history with english ales is there a is there that that kind of the potential for that like i don't know the the um the english style ales are uh kind of steeped in that we, tradition you get the hand pull yeah. it was like the, the, the cascade and that sort of affects the market as well i think a lot of people dragged their feet getting into craft beer more here because there was already an existing mm. cascade scene and like that was kind of seen as camera members which is like associated with sort of older guys and so that was so the scene yep. was like not as easy to break into and craft had to kind of break through that ceiling a little bit here which i think made it take a bit longer Yep. And Brewdog obviously kicked down a lot of doors for that. Um, but yeah, I think that's just affected the way that people people see the beer. Um, mm -hmm. But now I'd say it's you know it's dominated by double IPAs and all the same wacky stuff that you get in Australia now. So um, it's funny how Duncan's observation of the US market in craft lagers has probably started, and we this is a topic of conversation we bring up on the podcast constantly. The 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 craft lager scene in Australia's kind of really started to take off now, and it's 
kind of a really it's a big thing like all, all the breweries want to create the the perf the perfect um lager and, uh, and yeah the the kind of the pinnacle of that style and i think we're we're now seeing in here which is fun, which is interesting because i think it also t- ties in with what you're saying gareth that we've come full circle finally and yeah. starting to appreciate how good those lagers are and like particularly the one that we've had with, from from 71 it's that 71 lager is it's I cracking. think it's cracking. Yeah, I think yeah. it's probably having like like lager scene is like uh, is much more difficult to brew than an IPA. Like for an IPA, once you figure out how to keep the oxygen out of it and like dare I say, get the crystal malts in the bin, um, you've pretty <laughs> much made a a decent IPA. Whereas like a lager takes it takes time and takes you know tweaking yeah. all these tiny variables and just getting things just right. So brewers want to do that from a like a challenge from a technical yeah. challenge point of view. So I think brewers have wanted to make the lagers for a while and it's just about the market sort of being ready to drink yeah. them. So. We, we always say it's the brewer's beer and when we're talking to like groups of brewers, that's the beer they all want to bring. And even though in one sense it's simple, it's simple and so nuanced that, mm. you know, a, a trained palate can pick out things out of a, a out of a lager. Um which aren't which it can be overpowered in all sorts of other sort of brews. It's a, a very precise science. Um, at this point, David Craig, <laughs> David Craig in the chat room, and this is a great thing about the about joining us online that you can you can kind of throw questions into the chat. Um, has asked something, and this is probably a good segue into our next beer. Uh, and this is perfect because I've always actually wanted to ask someone from Scotland. The definition of a Scotch ale. <laughs> the definition of a Scotch ale. Uh, I think that's interesting. I think if you're if you're familiar with Scottish um, beer styles, they tend to be very malt focused. Yeah. Um, hops were not a big feature of them, um, and there was like a classification system that would indicate the kind of the strength of that beer. You know, you would get 60 shilling, 70 shilling, 80 shilling, and then 90 shilling, which would be commonly known as a Scotch ale or a wee heavy. Um, so strangely, the wee heavy is the big the, the big beer. You'll read some places and they'll have slightly different takes on that. They'll say all of these would be a Scotch ale, but then some people would just say the Scotch ale would be the stronger one of those. Um, and they all, you know, they all tend to follow the same format which is you know malt malt focused and to, to create the flavor um and very little in the way of hops as well so mm-hmm. um you know we follow we, that's the route that we've taken with um scotch pie um you know a real combination of, of malts we used a bit of smoked malt and aromatic malt in there uh, there's a lot of brown sugar in there as well and you should get a lot of kind of caramel mm. Uh, you know tones and and things from that from that beer. Now, do you have that beer in front of you at the moment, or are you sort of talking? Ooh, yeah, from... I'm gonna just do it quick. Because what what would be fantastic is you've told us a little bit about what we should, be, but let's sort of talk through what yeah. we, you know, what we should we, be getting in there. Let's make this sort of yeah. Those, those caramel, those those uh, when you talk about that that brown chocolate caramel, um, not to not to kind of jump in too quickly, but that treacle molassesy character uh, the, when that first when i first opened it and put my nose in it that's i just got such a huge hit there's almost a licorice kind of character which which um is fascinating with this 
I think it's really interesting once you start playing with malts to create flavour uh, and you take the hops out of the, the equation. Um, I think people can be mistaken in thinking that you're not, you've not got a lot to play with there, but it's incredible actually what, yeah. what um, you create in, in terms of aroma and, and flavour. Uh, Absolutely. And I, I'm going to do a little quick sort of shout back to the uh to the brewery that we had on last week which is wolf of the willows in uh melbourne who again was sort of doing six seven different grains in the malt bill uh and sort of layering those things it's a fascinating conversation for people who are new at a craft brewing and craft beer uh hopefully go back and listen to some of those episodes as well as this one to appreciate just what it is you can achieve in terms of a flavor profile uh out yeah. of malts even before you talk hops i don't know if you mentioned the the ester thing as well like uh, for me a uh, uh, scotch ale or we have ever is kind of like a a less strong barley wine you mm-hmm. uh, might be there's some differences but like one of the things is that there tends to be a bit of an ester drive as well so you should get some uh banana-y you know, banana sort of and yeah maybe almond and things like that as well um that should be offering you know what might be the hop roll in a different type of beer um you get more out of a yeast which is just obviously a more traditional way of doing things mm-hmm. and this has definitely got a bit of banana yeah I, I really get that and I, everyone's sensitive to different things and i fight but so a lot of sort of you know german waste beers and so forth i get that from but i jet i really get that from this mm-hmm. just with a little bit of sort of <clears throat> spiciness around the edges but really fresh uh, as in proper banana fruit, not banana lollies. And that to me yeah. is always the sort of the difference for me. The banana lolly uh, sort of flavours I don't like, uh, but yeah. fresh banana is mm. just so enticing. And also what Gareth said, like about the almond, like there's definitely that, that banana character going into a marzipan thing with yeah, the yeah. burgers. Yeah, absolutely. Just yeah. These, yeah. these are all things that you can get coming out of the the malt and the yeast and and it, you know I think it's it's amazing. It shows you what can be done when you're mm-hmm. not leaning heavily on um you know um high impact hops. Oh yeah. It's quite a nutty factor in the malt as well. So that sort of helps bring out that almond factor from mm-hmm. the yeast as well. It kind of works in synergy quite well. Yeah. So so the sort of impossible and silly question out of this is can you identify which of the malts or the yeast that contribute to this or is it really the sum of the whole you know for for people who are home brewing for instance and who want to achieve these kinds of flavors the answer will be buy yourself a big industrial brewery and uh you know do it yeah, properly I, think, I guess but you know you're probably know easily to say your you know your your banana esters and things are going to come from your yeast um, and your kind of treacle caramel molasses is coming from the from the malts it's it's not that hard really to to get esters out of the yeast like i mean mistreat the yeast and it's going to give you plenty of esters but it's uh, getting it in in balance is certainly doable by home brewers it's just about fine-tuning your own setup getting your temperatures just right getting your pitching rates just right like one of the best things you can do is is actually start playing around with your pitching rates and oxygenation and you'll get a lot more control over the yeast flavors that way a lot of homebrewers don't have that ability and that might cost a bit of money, but you can get pitching rates right by just paying attention to that. So and, and did you do some of that stuff as a home brewer before you arrived, you know, in the in the big world of brewing? Or 
you know, I what was started, sort of your background for that? I actually started commercial brewing first. I never homebrewed. Probably had been commercial brewing for about a year before I did my first homebrew. That's okay. Um, I'll edit that out. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my first homebrew was my first homebrew was actually a sink pour, uh, which is hilarious after commercial brewing for <laughs> over a year. Um, but yeah, I, I tend to for homebrewing. I tend just just to do it because you know I do it five days a week anyway. I don't want to spend too much time doing it on the weekend. But uh, I tend to do it to try out different yeasts and and hops that I've never tried before. Just like do fairly simple beers that just allow me to test some new product or whatever. Um, is Singapore a term in Scotland as much as it is in Australia? I'm not sure. Is it? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah, um, I do get confused a lot. Like, which which terms work in different countries? Sometimes I use something and people just stare at me blankly, and it's like, oh, that only works in Australia. <laughs> oh, come on. we need to know a couple of those. What can you What can you say in Australia that makes no sense in Scotland? See the one that's popped into my head. I can't actually say on a podcast. I think. No, I no, you remember. totally can say on our podcast. <laughs> or, you, or you can type it into the chat, and we'll never talk about it in here. That's the other. Well, I'm just, I'm just going to say it and not define it. So the, the yeah. one that popped into my head is. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, probably not something to say in front of the boss. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's talk about uh, the collaboration part of 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 Scott. Oh, excellent segue, Warren. Well done. Yeah. Let's let because yeah. yeah. So, um, full circle. Um, yeah. Ben, Ben, and Alex, and the guys down at Full Circle. They're based down in Newcastle. Uh-huh. Um, I met them a few years ago when they were just getting started a craft beer festival down in London. Ben's an incredibly nice guy really uh, chatty and we, we just kind of hit it off and stayed in touch and we actually went to do our first collaboration together in March 2020 and uh, <laughs> so we were meant to be going down to Newcastle to, to do a beer together with them mm-hmm. and then it ended up just um, obviously it was just a bit of email back and forward and then they, they ended up making the beer so we, we've done collaborations with them previously but that one was kind of difficult because it was obviously right at the start of lockdown um, and, and bad timing. Um, and then this was was on the cards for ages, actually, to, for us to, to get back together. And we eventually managed to do that at the beginning of the year. Um, and yeah, and in terms of collaboration, it was really good. You know, uh, Michael Dimmick, who's our head brewer, and Alex, who's head brewer down at Full Circle, we, we spent quite a lot of time emailing back and forward. Um, I think it was Alex actually down at Full Circle that said like, they wanted to make a, a Scotch ale. Um, and, you know, there was quite a lot of doing and throwing on the on the recipe. So it was very good, uh, a lot of ideas coming from both sides. And then Ben, who's the owner of Full Circle, came up for the day, you know, for the usual pouring the hops in photograph. And obligatory. <laughs> yeah, it is, as, as someone who's launching a beer on Sunday, can I say that's pretty much entirely all that I did? And in fact, they didn't really trust me to do that. I was allowed to be I was allowed to take a, a selfie. Of yeah, putting yeah. the hops in and another one of you pulling some grain out of the mash, out of the mash tun at the end of the mash. They didn't trust me to do that. I also wasn't complaining. And Having done it. that job a few times, yeah. I wasn't complaining about that. Yeah, and then... Um, and in terms of the name, I mean, if you're, you know, has anybody worked it out yet? You know, I think uh, Warren has. <laughs> you know, obviously we we decided to go for something that would uh, incorporate 
reference to full circle. Um, so hence the, and Dundee's famous for pies. Um, we've got a good pie shop near us that we always feed people when they, they come to visit the brewery. So we thought we'd go for scotch pie with a circle reference. So, um, maybe a bit niche, but yeah, we thought it was funny. Oh, no, we like I think it's absolutely genius. That's our kind of <laughs> shtick, can I say? Yeah. It's been really clear. It's, we we love that kind of stuff. Could, this might sound like a silly question, but why did they want to make a Scotch ale? Can you tell us a little bit about I sort of know, what? I, I, I guess because they were collaborating with us and they thought, oh, you know, Scotch brewery, these guys must make Scotch ales all the time. We were like, oh, okay, we made one of them for a while. Uh, sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> um. But you know, as with all these collaborations, if somebody uh, if somebody jumps in with an idea first, uh, unless anybody's got any strong objections, then we tend we tend to run with it and then just start um, you know mixing ideas from both sides together. Um, and and we were we were game for that. Actually, some of that ended up in um, uh, got barrel aged, so that went to um, what's the what's the Tully Bardine Tully. Tilly Bardine um, Whiskey Distillery. So they gave us their first full cask, which I think were a combination of Burgundy casks and bourbon casks. Uh, so we barrel-aged some of that, and then that was blended back together. Um, and I think the, the ABV on that had jumped up to about 9.5 by that time. Um, oh. and, and that'll be, be ready for sort of this Christmas season. I'll be coming out. I think it's got a different name actually. It's called the Lemonade Electric. And um, by the time that it made it through, through. And is that a disco reference, travel. or what's that a reference to, or should we not? I ask? have no is idea that... where that one came from. Uh, <laughs> I did, I did work, work on the names, and sometimes when I get stuck, I'll put a few in front of different people and say, "What do you prefer?" But that one, I can't remember. Random words. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've, I've got, I've got some, I've got some good online tools that I use. Um, for explaining a little bit. Let's, let's not discuss your good online tools in light of some of the little conversations <laughs> you've had on the way there. Let's, can, can we talk a little bit at your personal brewing uh, history, Duncan? We've heard from some of the other rest of the team, but you know, when did you first have a craft beer? Do you remember what it was? Um, Where was it? Yeah, it was probably, um, funnily enough, it was in the States. It was in, I was working in New York and I had a Liberty Ale from Anchor Brewing. Yep. So I thought it was just like the best thing in the world. I'd never tasted anything like it. Loved it. Um, and then really, you know, it was another few years before I started. I guess we didn't see, a, we weren't seeing a huge amount of craft beer across in, in the UK. We would get um, Brooklyn Lager, we would, you know, uh, would, would start to appear. Brooklyn Chocolate Stout, which is something that I, at the time, was just... Uh, I thought it was amazing. You know, now it's probably pretty par for the course, but it's it's probably something that was a, an inspiration for subtlety and art way, way, way back. Hmm. Uh, and then was was there an aha moment where you just had? A yeah, beer there was, there went, was, I, I've it, got to make beer. And I'm, and I'm not just saying this. It was across in Australia and it was across in Melbourne because I've got family in Melbourne. Um, I've got, I've got. Gentle there. listener, he says this all the time. So I've listened to five other podcasts. <laughs> he does. Um, hello, so yeah, Melbourne. Uh, hello, Melbourne. Hello, Fraser and Emma. Uh, yeah. My cousins that live across there and all their kids. 
So I, I was across staying, uh, taking a bit of sabbatical from work and was living in Melbourne and my, my cousin got me into home brewing um, while I was over there. And I think just the whole scene that was in Melbourne at the time, that was about 2010, um, there was nothing like that really in the UK, but in Melbourne, you know, there was a heap of different breweries. Um, I'm trying to remember names of some of them. There was one called something Thunder Thunder Road. I remember going yeah. to Thunder Road. Mm-hmm. Which is um, and you know the little creatures tap room that was down on in oh, Brunswick, yeah. Brunswick, Brunswick yeah. Street. Yeah, stuff. Yep. yeah, and I, you know I'd never seen anything like that. And I, I thought this is this is fantastic. But then it was when I went out to Dalesford, and there was a brewery there called White Rabbit, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, White Rabbit was uh, Hillsville. Yeah, yeah. Hillsville, and um, I was just, uh, I just thought that place was the best the mm. business. The, the way it kind of had an inside-outside area, you could sit in all these little couches and old chairs that looked like an old front room in the middle of this right really high-tech brewery and I sat there and had beers and I think that was probably a very aha moment. I thought, you know, I'd, I, I want to do this and I'd like to take some of this back home. Um, and it only took me six years to get around to doing it, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's better than many. Yeah, yeah that's better. <laughs> yeah, that, I think for me, that was the, those are the big inspiration moments. Can, can we ask what you were doing beforehand and, and was it a transition from someone who was, say, an engineer and understood certain things, or were you working in tapestry and had no idea how to move from one area oh, to another? I mean, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was working in the software engineering, so it was kind of engineering, but um, very much focused on um, hardware, computer side. Um, and I'd been so you'd made a lot of money along the way, and so you just had money um, to earn, and that's what you spent a lot of money. Um, No, I think I'd been doing that for about 20 years and I think I was really starting to fall out of love with doing that and you know, it's probably since about 2010 I've been thinking about trying to exit that industry uh, and find something I wanted to do Um, Well, we we love that word exit because one of our favourite Melbourne breweries here is called Exit which is effectively XIT uh, so <laughs> like we, we have like so that. many good breweries here started by people in, who've done exactly what you were yeah, talking about. There's actually a little brewery uh, a little bit further north of here called Wasted Degrees, which just really <laughs> speaks to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that, yeah. Jeez, I'm going to have to steal that for something. <laughs> that is, what are you saying about my half a master's of public policy, <laughs> Mr. Warren? <laughs> Jeez, all my my engineering degree, which I used for a year and a half before. (laughs) Uh, Guys, we're really conscious that while it's 7.30 in Melbourne, Australia, that it's going to start to 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 impact on your time in the brewery over there in Scotland pretty soon because you've got real jobs to do and real things to attend to in your morning. I think it's probably maybe we can have a five minute break just for people to refresh their glasses and then we'll come back and talk subtlety and art and and wrap things sure. up if that's okay. Sure. Sounds good. good. 
Well, welcome back. You're in the call room. Uh, can I tell you, uh, international listeners, uh, particularly in Turkey, where we've got a following this week, Mr. Warren, that's where they've come from this week in terms surely, of international... Surely that's a VPN who, that's picked up a server in Turkey. Like, surely. <laughs> I presume you're right, but I just like to think there's someone sitting in Istanbul or was it Constantinople <laughs> uh, who is listening to us right now about these kinds of beers mm-hmm. and discussions. Uh, during the break, we got involved in some pretty heavy weighted discussions about local football in uh, Australia because, of course, we're heading into the final season here. Luckily, people in Scotland don't take their football that seriously. And having said that, Warren, I'm going to let you lead the conversation from here. Um, I thought it would be really nice to kick off with the traditional cool room question, which we normally do at the end of the first segment. but. Yeah, stuff it. Let's do the. Let's do it at the start of the the, the second segment. Um, Duncan, what is the weirdest, strangest, most uh, bizarre, disturbing? You always say disturbing. Cool. It could just be happy, funny. Yeah, it could be happy, funny, but no, nah, it's more fun where it's uh, disturbing. Stressful. Yeah, when you asked when you asked that question, I knew straight away because <clears throat> we've got we've also got a cool room in the brewery, which was used for the the tap room as well. And um, <clears throat> I came in one day and there was a leg of venison in it, hanging up in it, and uh, with no explanation for this, and it was like, what the hell is this doing here? So there's hops and there's yeast and a leg of venison uh, hanging there. And uh, it turned out that the guy that we gave our grain to, the local farmer, was he had a herd of deer, uh, and he slaughtered some of them, and then he brought a leg of venison in to hand over as a as payment for some of the grain. So somebody had thought a good idea. Right. To hang that sounds really. That sounds really positive to me. Yeah, that's that's a happy <laughs> one. Now. It got taken home and barbecued. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds wonderful, as opposed to, and this is a public service announcement, and I don't make light of it, but apparently don't hand-raise deer at home because when it gets to uh, the mating season, they start to gore you. So there was a Melbourne person, a Victorian person, killed by their pet deer this week. What? <laughs> Bear that in mind. It's, listen, listeners, the sound you hear of laughing is not me laughing. It's um, late test. Yeah, yes, because I know it's it's a very common and you know obviously everyone who's lived in Melbourne before will appreciate it. it's a very common thing to keep deer with your kangaroos and emus in the backyard. Just don't do it. <laughs> is it? Yeah, it absolutely is. You, you you mustn't have been to that part of Melbourne when you were visiting sort of, you know, the local, you know, in 2010. It's taken off in about 2011 and going forward from there. So, Yeah, I guess I've just seen more as a food source here. There's a lot of, a lot of them are farmed. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Warren, I feel like I've let us off. off the- I think it's, I, that's really thoughtful that someone did that. I, I think that's really nice. Yeah. It's, it was. Yeah, that's really lovely. I love that. I love Anyone venison else? and would happily have venison randomly hanging in my fridge all the time if someone was so kind. <clears throat> uh, mine was a 
I, well, I used to work for a big pub chain, Witherspoons, when I was about 19. Uh, I had the 6am Saturday morning shift bringing in the deliveries. It's, you know, 6am Saturday morning when you're 19. You know, often you haven't been to bed yet. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the biggest find was actually for the, the, the head chef coming in and finding me asleep in the cold room. Because I was <laughs> pleased with the, the cold temperature was making me feel a bit better. So I just had to sit down and, and fell asleep. So... <laughs> What kind of temperature are we talking? That's the that's sort of... it was probably about four degrees. Well, I think I left the door open, so it was you know steadily heating up and spoiling. All the <laughs> so it wasn't so much that it was you were in the cool room and that you were appreciating the cold. It was a, you just really liked the feeling of lying on a bed of venison. Well, so I think outside it would have been, it was summer, so it would have been you know summer in Scotland would have been about fourteen degrees. Yeah. <laughs> you get, when, you're, when you're bringing in deliveries, you get really hot because you're constantly carrying all this head heavy stuff so you're like sweating and then you just go sit in the cold room and it feels really nice yeah on a on a real on a really balmy 14 degree morning i could see how you'd be <laughs> you'd, yeah, you'd be t- your t-shirts off you'd be you're in um so i've spent a good while in many a cold room i've seen <laughs> Numerous things. Um, I've one that sticks in my mind was um, it was um, I'll not mention any names, but someone that we supplied beer to, and they were renowned for hoarding empty kegs and behind a wall of so like empty kegs. Upon removing them, just a canoe, like a kayak, <laughs> just <laughs> in the cool room. Oh, yeah, obviously being stored there. Kayak <laughs> <laughs> in your cold room. Who <laughs> <laughs> has enough room in their cool room to be able to? Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's luxurious, isn't it? Household <laughs> <laughs> objects in there for no reason. Let's yeah. use cold room in the loosest possible time. It's like just a cellar underneath the building. So it's like. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like most we're 150 episodes in. I feel like we've got variations on stories of things that explode, people doing things in cool rooms, mm. you know, all sorts <laughs> of pieces. But I've got to say, you've blindsided me with the kayak <laughs> comment there because that's, that wasn't where I that wasn't where I thought things were going. Like, and and why? Like, if you were like, I don't understand how you're <laughs> hidden behind a whole bunch of kicks. What are you, are they thinking, I feel like a kayak today. I wonder where I left it. <laughs> or, or alternatively, Warren, what I'm thinking is, and we all know that global warming is real. So like, <laughs> yes. you know, the, Scotland, you know, the, the average summer day is moving from 14 degrees to 18 degrees. So I better pre-chill my kayak before I go for a bit of a, a, bit of a paddle <laughs> in the street. <laughs> Just for emergencies. <laughs> exactly. Just, yeah. Yeah, just just in case. Okay, okay. I, I feel like we have. We, we, it's one of our favourite questions. We love what comes out of that. But let's talk the beer that's in front of us, and I don't want to seem at all disrespectful of the fact that we have an amazing beer in a glass in front of us at the moment. Uh, Duncan, do you want to lead the conversation about what's in this, and um, let's talk about the sure. beer that we're experiencing? So. You you had indicated you kind of wanted to know about what inspired it, I think. And I, I was really having to think about that. But 
I had mentioned a beer earlier, which had appeared in the UK long before many other craft beers, which was Brooklyn's Black Chocolate Stout. Um, and at the time, it was kind of like, wow, what is this? This is absolutely amazing. And then it kind of, you know, was kind of forgotten about as this whole wave of different beers appeared, local beers, American beers. Um, but then when we, we, we decided that we wanted to create something really big, it was for the Christmas 2020 we wanted to create a really special beer and really go to town on it, and it was, you know, it was focused on that kind of Christmas season. Um, and so we decided on a chocolate stout, and then we decided to go for a chocolate and coffee stout because we'd been working with the local coffee roasters, um, guys that really like Sacred Grounds, um, who, who in the interim in our five minute break there we just realized it just delivered just a few kilos of coffee to us so we're very happy um, good good we'll give them we acknowledge that shout out we'll tag them and that'll confuse them yes yeah, <laughs> sacred grounds coffee and um so you know we we created the you know the the, the base for it with the um coffee cacao nibs cacao husks um quite a bit of vanilla in there as well and then Sacred Grounds guys came in uh, on those initial brews and, and helped us. You know, they would they would come in and, they, you know, when we told them what we wanted to do, they didn't want to just send us coffee ready to, to cold brew. They wanted to come in and grind it on their grinder, then then straight into the, the, the vessels for doing the cold brew. So that it was like, you know, minimum amount of time it was in the air before it was getting in the water. Um, and, and we're really fussy about how we did this. But we had to create, you know, masses and masses of cold brew for it. Um, and that was really the you know the process to to come up with what what eventually was called subtlety in art at the time we didn't have a name for it. I'll admit I can't remember the roots of that name, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we were trying to create something that was decadent and rich and and you know it might be something that's seasonal. You know you might give it for a gift and you can savor it all evening. Um, and, and initially we thought we were just going to create it on this, as a sort of one-off, but it was very well received. And then we, we've we ended up sending, you know, we send quite a lot of that to Scandinavia. Um, you know, they, 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 we sell bucket loads of that in Norway, um, even though it's a Shout bit, out to our Norwegian listeners who are actually, yeah, we well, have so we, many, it's bizarre. And <laughs> even though the, 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 the alcohol tax there is insane, and, the, you know, it's about 12 or 14 UK pounds a can, you know, they still sell bucket loads of it. Um, so, yeah, it's been a very good beer for us. Um, and, and like I say, it started as a one-off and then has just continued since then. I think the recipe is really good. Um, what's all made from Holly Got's name? Uh, so, yeah, so the original recipe, we, we decided we wanted to, to create this beer, but the other brewery in Dundee is, is called Holy Goat, and the, the, um, the guy who runs that is Johnny Horn, and Johnny used to work at, 71 so it was johnny's creation um so we definitely have to give a shout out to him for that yeah i think he's done really well like the coffee and when i when i first brewed this i saw the recipe and there's a lot of really smoky and chewy malts in it and i thought it was going to be a really chewy like difficult to drink imperial stout but i think he's done a great job of balancing it because then the loads of coffee that you put in cuts through a lot of that chewiness and so sometimes with like coffee stouts they can be really thin um 
when there's a lot of coffee in there and it kind of thinning bitter and I think he's done really well at just getting the coffee to just cut right through to just the right amount so it ends up really balanced. So. Mm-hmm. There's a real lightness to this beer in the context of what it is. So, you know, but let's not pretend that it's a, a crisp, fresh sort of lager sort of style. But as a as a big beer, as an imperial stout, it's really clean on the palate and finishes beautifully. It's um it's enormous kudos to you folk in terms of how that gets made. Um we we've had a number of coffee beers, coffee stouts, especially on the show lately. And it's really interesting to hear how people deal with the beans and also the point in the brewing process where that the, where the coffee gets added to not lose the sort of the aromatics of the coffee out of that. Can you talk about some of those things and whether you've played around with when a coffee additive should be put in? Yeah, I mean, we've tried various different things from cold brew to adding coffee in the whirlpool um, to, having, to adding hot brew. Um, as well, so we, we've been through various iterations with different beers. Um, this one was always traditionally a cold brew. We do another um, coffee beer, which is called Nervous Energy, which is a triple espresso stout. Great name! You've you've mastered the name even when you don't know why you're calling beers certain things. And that that's um, that's got coffee in the in the whirlpool. It's got cold brew and then it's got a hot addition as well so there's three different additions to that this one is actually ground coffee in the world that was all ground coffee in the world that's the subtlety not that we're drinking just now it's ground coffee in the world so gareth's keeping me right here that we've evolved the recipe of this that's moved from being a cold brew into a um a hot addition side addition i think it was but we chill chill the world down as much as we can get away with um to avoid and pulling off too much and mm-hmm. making it too bitter, so it's it's hot but not you know ninety five degrees. I think it's a, it's a it's really simple. subtle art. We that's why yeah. the, the subtlety <laughs> in art, it like genuinely, it just it. There was, I wasn't even trying to be funny for once in my life. Um, it. I think it's an example of a beer that the, the process that we'll use to try and create this. You know, we're really happy with the flavor, but then if you start producing that you know, in, in greater numbers, you're trying to hone that process to make sure that you can get it consistent every time. And I think that one has obviously evolved. Sometimes I'm a bit out of touch with what the process is. Yeah, <laughs> so I think we've brewed it six times since I've been here and it's been ground coffee mm-hmm. every time. Yeah. So. It's, it's really useful for Duncan to learn how the process works now. So Amazing. I'm glad you're able to share. I mean, this, is, this has been a learning experience for me. So. <laughs> I actually, it's actually one of my favourite bits of sometimes doing this podcast is to to have newer members of a brewery hear the origin stories, which sometimes you don't ever get to ask when you join a business, regardless of what kind of business it is, you mm. don't get to ask why did you set this up? And also you don't get to ask the, what are you doing with my business now kind of question. And it's, it's great <laughs> fun to watch those sort yeah. of. <laughs> no, I try to start every conversation with the origin story so that it just, um, you know, it bores the hell out of people. Beautifully said, beautifully said. Once we, once we wrap up the recorded version of this, uh, 
which is one of the great things about being uh, in the Zoom room live with us on a Thursday night, Melbourne time, is that we do sit around and tell stories. I've got a couple of ripper stories like that along the way. Before we start to go to audience questions, which is also one of the great things that we do here in the Zoom room, uh, I really want to ask, we've spoken about some great names that we love of beers, but 71 Brewing, is there, tell us the really long story about the name. <laughs> there's, there's, no, there's no there is no super long story the, oh well it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast and we'll uh... <laughs> just <guys> back <laughs> no i think um there's a bit of a double meaning there it was the the old foundry that the blackness foundry which we were part of that was the address um and it was the year of when i was born when some of the other guys that that helped fund the the brewery were born in dundee in, in 1971 um and so it kind of started as a working title through the brewery and it just stayed um so i think it, i wouldn't point to one story or the other has been the the, the the key thing but we thought it worked because it had multiple meanings for us and and with our location as well simples <laughs> yeah, no i mean that's uh, sometimes that is good as well and the design of the logo the design of the uh the cans themselves and i know we've had a bit of back and forth because i used the wrong logo initially which i often do i grab the first one that comes up on sort of google but um really distinctive looking cans how important is that in terms of how you sort of sell the product and who's behind all of that do you let it out to someone else or is that something that's kept close to the yeah we we work we work quite closely with a, a designer um Eric, uh, he runs a company called the Union Creative, um, and and he's we worked with Eric for for years, um, and and he's come up with the design, the, the structure of the label, but left us a lot of freedom for us that we quite often in house in, in the brewery will choose the the imagery that gets used, and then Eric will then translate that into the into the standard can design that you'll see on there. There's a you know there's obviously the hexagon shape for the the logo, but then that hexagon shape is repeated, um, you know, in a, in a subtle way on the right in the centre and the front of the can, and then below that as well. Um, and, and so we, I like the the design we've done there. With with a can like subtlety and art, we would have said to Eric, "Look, we want to create something decadent here." You know, push the boat out, and he has he's come back with that himself and, and put that in front of us, and we said, "Right." Fantastic. With something like Neutron Dance or Scotch Pie, we've looked and, and found some imagery that we've liked and shot that over to him. There would have been two or three different versions of that that would have come back to us and we would have picked one from that. So we've got a nice, we've got a good process now uh, worked out <clears throat> for, for creating labels and, and that, and it's, it's pretty slick. Um, the only problem is sometimes we're a bit the, the beer can make it out of the tank before the label's ready. So, yeah, cool. <laughs> I think it has a great look. And, you know, the, the litmus test that I always put over it is when I used to run pubs, it needed to be identifiable from two metres away. Someone needed to stand on one side of the bar and be able to see what beer it was in the fridge and know who was making it, uh, more so than walking through a large, like, you know, a, a sort of a big box thing where you can look at the beers right in front of you. 
this had to be identifiable and even better if people are your lager drinkers can identify your brand as a lager and then go, oh, and I feel like treating myself with something fun tonight. I trust this brand and I can I can recognise this as a brand that I trust. It's a really tricky thing to get right. Yeah, I think it's, it's evolved over the years. And, you know, I'm, uh, I think the, the reason we like having the ability to choose the imagery in the back is, you know, me in particular, I can get quite bored with something easily and then I'm on to something else that I've seen and I'm like, oh, let's do something like that, you know, but it allows us to, to stick with the structure, but, you know, <laughs> whatever whatever thing takes our fancy that week, if there's a beer coming through, then we can, we can go with that. There's a little bit more structure around our core range. We we, we have a, a pattern that, that we work with there um, that we use at different angles on the, on the cans and then obviously different colour schemes. But for the small batch beers, you know, it gives us, we've got quite a lot of freedom there to, to just pick whatever. Uh, you guys whatever. have been really generous. Mr. Warren Wu is going to ask a question. I can oh, see. Oh, yeah, I might as well quickly. Uh, and I put my foot in it a couple of times. I suspect I might do it again. There's like this really matte texture on on a few of your cans. Now, is that is that the same as when I made that boo-boo and, and asked a brewery that and they're saying, oh, no, that's a fault in the printing of the label? No, that's, that's, <laughs> that's intentional. You oh, great. Drop, you don't want to drop your can when you've got it in your hand. You Damn right. Damn, Damn right. right. I totally agree with that, yeah. Which is why it surprised <laughs> me when the other when the other brewery that we had on, when the other guest we had on said, oh, no, we, we screwed that up. But thanks. That's, yeah, I think the texture is... It's got a coarse grain on it, but then the subtlety part will be smooth. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, because you know we thought that didn't suit, but most most of the labels will go. We get a coarse grain varnish put on them. Yeah. Um, because there's a tact, there's a tactile thing there that you know for for your memory about that that thing that you just drank. That, yeah, that absolutely. I really like even as a person who deals in so many different cans during a week. There's something nice about it. It's going, oh, no, I know, I have picked up the right beers, silly as that sounds, <laughs> when you're dealing with so many cans. It's just like, oh, no, this is familiar. This is what I should be doing. <clears throat> yeah. If you're stumbling around your house in the dark, you know you can find them. That's pretty much what I'm describing <laughs> as well. I'm, I'm running a business and stumbling around my house in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we have uh, a number of... Yeah. Awesome audience questions. Uh, we've probably got time for one more uh, over and above what's written into the chat. Uh, we love it when people join us live in the Zoom room. We get to unmute. And then, guys, we're cognizant of the fact that you've got to go and do some brewing so that we can continue to enjoy your amazing beers. I'm going to kick off with Mr. David Craig of Northwest Melbourne, a great friend and a great supporter of the podcast. David, about an hour and a half ago, you typed a great question into the chat. Do you want to ask it now, please? Bless your heart. And also a great consumer of, uh, of beer. And uh, the, the the blokes over in Dundee, you're, uh, you're wee heavy. The Scotch ale is just out of this world. I, yeah. So um, David and Warren, we've got to figure out a way of having... Um, slabs of that available over here is that your question <laughs> the question the question sorry was was it about uh, the boiler maker oh yeah, yeah absolutely i think it's a great yeah. question right. i love it the, the americans uh, rabbit on about uh, their thing of the boiler maker uh, 
whiskey and beer. And I was just interested to um, ask some Scots, um, what 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 is your preference for a beer or your matching of a beer with a whiskey? Uh, what do do you folks over there do the whiskey and beer? I do myself. Yeah, I mean, I think you you would get people. I think it's I think you would call it a half and half. My, my granddad and his drinking cronies, their whole yeah. thing was to basically buy a half pint and then drink about a half bottle of whiskey. And the half pint was just to, to wash down <laughs> the half bottle of whiskey. And that was like, that was how they drank. And so, yes, you were mixing beer and whiskey, but the beer was almost just like a kind of mouthwash for your, <laughs> for your whiskey. But you see, you'll see people drinking beer and whiskey here, but they would probably go for something like that. You know, a heavy or a scotch ale or something to pair with it. Um, a scotch ale, which is beautiful. I think half and half. With is, what sort is, of whiskey? You mentioned Tully, Tully Bardeen before, which is a whiskey I love. Yeah, so they're they're not far from us. They're just they're just down the road, and um, they're great. We're we're now working with them quite a lot, and we're actually just about to return a set of barrels to them. Um, that uh, that I've had beer on them, they're they're then going to lay a whiskey down, and so it's going to go through another another part of that process as well. And um, so we're quite excited about that. Although it might take a few years for that to appear. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's been the same focus on the sort of flavour matching of whiskey and beer here. Not when I lived here ten years mm, ago. You don't see it. No. Sure. Because there are obviously so, yeah. places in Melbourne you would have struck like Boilermaker House and stuff. Whose yeah. idea, uh, whiskey and almond, whose idea is that you buy a beer and a whiskey sort of when you walk up and um, they, they yeah. match them. That's, you know, as they spend more money on that than some French restaurants do on their sommeliers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to work for a brewery in Brisbane called Newstead and we, we had Boilermaker House send us a whiskey that they wanted to... Pair, pair a beer with and we designed a beer that would match this particular whiskey I think they do a bit of that as well um, yeah you don't see that much here at all no. yeah. um, well anyway when you make your cool room boilermaker uh, feel free to tag us in all of the social media just to spread the word in Scotland about you know, that great idea that we've helped deliver to Scotland absolutely Uh James Murphy, you had a very specific question because it sounds like you've been in Scotland or there or thereabouts, and uh, even though you're sitting in downtown Brunswick, Melbourne, Victoria, you've got a question you want to ask the team. Thanks, David, and and thanks, lads, for your time. It's been really great hearing more about 71 Brewing. I enjoyed a number of years ago when we used to travel um, in a like a radiant sunshine and 14 degrees Celsius summer day in Dundee. Um, at St Andrews Brewing, actually, you guys had Mandarina Sky on tap, oh, yeah. and I wondered if you still made it, and and if so, if that's one of the ones you felt wouldn't travel so well. Yeah, that we um, that's been retired, unfortunately. Um, we we had made that beer for a number of years, and um, and it has been replaced with a beer called Haze Halo. Um, yeah, we we were actually we were looking at the recipe and thinking, how do we, you know change this around and you know what can we do with this we felt that actually it would be better to to take the beer out of the the lineup altogether replace it with something completely new and fresh i think particularly if if we've got new people coming in 
it's better that the beers that we have are, you know, a lot of them are being created by the people that are on the team. I think. You yeah, know, I that, look forward to trying the new one. It sounds like it'd yeah, be delicious. Forward and and I felt like we would we'd been uh, taking that beer. It had had been with us for quite a long time, but I think it was time for a change. So it might come back um, at some point in the future. But uh, the beer we've replaced it with has been enormously popular. So uh, I think it's been a good a good move. Um, and yeah, uh, we used to sell a lot of that down in St Andrews Brewing Company um, pre pre COVID. Um, <laughs> it's not fared so well since then. <clears throat> well, throw to Damo in a second with his question. But again, I'm I'm always fascinated by these sort of questions we hinted at it before in a in a sort of a funny way but how that tension works between the people who founded the brewery and the people who are brewing the beers now and particularly for those recipes you know is, is there ever any tension there and i talk about it in a positive way but styles you want to explore and does it fit within the 71 brewing theme i mean we could chat about you know something that i was thinking Years this year that people feel the loyalty too, so I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any tension. Duncan's pretty supportive of whatever the Bruin team wants to do. Um, and we're, we're not trying to create an, an issue, but it's that it's a really interesting thing between this bloke who says, "I want to create the brewery. I've got this money, or with mates, I've got money. We make it happen." And then now I need to employ a brewer. Do you tweak the recipes a bit, or do you say to him, "I want to do, um, I want to do sour beers," which is what he sort of hinted at at the very beginning, I guess. We we, we do tweak, but I think Duncan's done a pretty good job of like understanding that there are people who know more about each individual area than he does, and so he's like populated the team with people who are really good at one particular area of it, and is quite happy to let them go on with it. So that's pretty much what you want from an owner, from my perspective. So. <laughs> Yeah, I used to. I, I when we started early days, you know, I did a bit of brewing, but you know, it's never been. I was a an amateur brewer for many years, and I realised that the the size that we wanted to get to, uh, it wasn't going to be me that was doing the brewing. We needed to bring in people with lots of experience, so, um, and I, I try as much as possible to let them make the calls. Um, well, you had me do a redo the paleo recently, and. I sort of tried to make it more like what's popular in Australia, like in terms of the toward more towards an XPA, which is a style that doesn't exist over here. Um, but uh, yeah, I tried to make a few tweaks to sort of take it in that direction, and you were pretty happy to just let me get on with that. So yeah, no tension. I, I th- can I say I think that's a great attitude from both ends of the spectrum on that. In terms of, it's sometimes so hard to sort of let a little bit of delegation go, but it it just works when you've got people who know what they want to be making. Um, on a similar vein, Damo, I think you're going to be our last audience question tonight. And um, it's a very good, apt question to ask a Scottish brewery to, to round out the conversation. Evening all. Um, gentlemen from Scotland, how are we? Uh, hey, I just want to ask a question. I love Scotch ales. I love uh, wee heavy and stuff and uh, 80 shilling. And, uh, and but I just noticed in America and over here, um, American breweries have got this thing about Scotch ales having peated malt or smoked malts in there and mm-hmm. to the point where they've actually changed the definition in the Brewers Association guidelines 
how does this how how do, as a Scottish brewery how do you feel about that? I don't I don't think that they're, uh, they're obligatory in the beer, and I don't think they should be. We have a smoke malt in our um, Scotch pie, um, but I don't think it's seen as something that has to be in there, and certainly not a peated malt. A peated malt is pretty extreme, you know. If you it is, a, and that's why I'm asking is because. They have so many of these Scotch ales, and Americans seem to think that oh, Scotch, Scotch whiskey. Therefore, we put peated malt in there, and it's yeah. I think I, I feel that they're confusing trying to create something like a, you know, an island malt whiskey, you know, like a Laphroaig or, or Talisker or something like that in in a beer form. And I think that's a different thing to what was traditionally a Scotch ale, which was a malt focused, but not doesn't have to be smoked malt focused. Um, so. I think I always I always get a bit nervous when people start saying classifying something more and more and more and saying, oh well, here's the box, and then the box comes tighter and it's kind of like it's got to have this. Uh, and you think actually, no, you know, the the original Scotch ales must have been dramatically different across the country. Um, so why should we be being so specific about them now? And I, I would assume that you go to some parts of the country and you would have found that they would traditionally put a smoke malt in there. And another part, and they wouldn't dream of it. So I think um, be flexible. That's a wonderful point to finish on. I think uh, we might well sit around here in the cool room. We're going to enjoy the rest of the amazing beers that we've in, uh, inherited from the brewery. Uh, we also acknowledge the fact that you've got to go and do some real work. Leave the Zoom open in you know in your time. You know at three o'clock in the morning uh we will still be here chatting you can just wander past and cast nasturtiums on uh what we're talking about it's been such an honor and so exciting for us to have a brewery from scotland on from dundee and to hear the the love that you have of the product you're making and the effort that goes into it um hopefully you'll all come back over to Melbourne, Australia very soon and we can all sit around a big table together and enjoy some great local and some of your beers as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you all. Thanks yeah, thanks, James. Thanks. Thank you. Cheers.